0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino, and everything will be okay. And welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. My guests this week are two women who are working to provide young women entering the workforce with the necessary advice and resources to thrive as they begin their careers. Dee Martin is head of the Policy Resolution Group at Bracewell LLP. And Jamie Zweibach is the Global Director of Communications, Culture and Citizenship at Latham and Watkins. And they are also co-founders of Minute Mentoring with me. They are phenomenal mentors with years worth of knowledge and advice to help advance this next generation of stellar young women ready to change and positively impact the world. Jamie and Dee, can you believe that we started this thing many, many years ago? Was it it 2009 or it must have been 2010?
1: I think... We we started late 2009 and then launched in earnest
0: in 2010. That's exactly right because we correct. and we yeah. came up with minute mentoring in a couple of different ways. So yes. Jamie and I talked about it after I went to this event on Capitol Hill where there were 80 women from the Bipartisan Women's Congressional Staff Association, and they wanted like my best tips for working at the White House and uh, just navigating what had been and is not now by any means, but what had been kind of an old boys club and. I tried to get put all my advice in one spot and then we did a photo line after the speech and 76 of the 80 women asked me for lunch or coffee and I was like, whoa, <laughs> I can't. And so I had this idea, I'm like, I wish that we could do something where you since they all have the same questions, we just do it all at once, but I don't have all the answers. And it would be like speed dating, but with mentoring. And Jamie and D were so... Helpful in getting this off the ground um, from both the name, I, th- I believe D, as I recall, a Minuteman Train was your idea, and in terms of the name, and Jamie. Uh, Jamie has been with me through all of my ideas. <laughs> I was like, Jamie's probably sick of my ideas, but here we are. We've um, had this organization for quite a while, and I wanted to give our listeners a chance to just hear from you about how your own careers have changed. From 2009 to now, because it's pretty interesting, the trajectory, because even though we thought of ourselves as mentors 15 years ago, what we've learned since then is quite remarkable. So, Dee, let me start with you on that.
1: Uh, well great thanks and thanks for having me here today it's super exciting to be here um, and to look back on over a decade of minute mentoring um, so in 2010 i was a relatively new partner at bracewell um, i was also a new co-chair of the policy resolution group that's my team at bracewell and i was a relatively new mom and then we had just launched minute mentoring right so everything was new and uh, really exciting all of that is still true, but if you fast forward to today, I think the thing that has changed the most for me is that I've, I've started to trust my creative instinct a little bit more, and it really started with the launch of Minute Mentoring, right? That was an, an idea. It was outside of the norm. We launched it. It was hugely successful, and I began to realize that that creative instinct is something I could trust, And I carried that forward and I started uh, using that creative instinct in the way I work with my clients, in the pro bono representations that I undertake. Um, Last year, I launched Madam Policy and Dana, you have Mm -hmm. been on as a guest and thank you for doing that. And that was successful. And so each time I use that creative instinct over the years, it's proven successful and it's just made me, I think, a better advocate, a better business person, maybe even a better mom. I don't know. Well, that's remains to be seen. I have a
0: 13 year old now. Is she
1: 13? Yes.
0: Can you believe it? How? I know. I know. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Jamie, your career has taken an interesting twist and turn uh, since we started this.
2: Absolutely. You know, when we started, uh, I was working on the House Judiciary Committee. I'd come out of the administration. So that was a big change. I'd had a position where I had a relatively large team and then I went and became, uh, as we like to say, an individual contributor um, in my role on the House Judiciary Committee. And then um, I left that and ended up joining um, a global law firm. I had a pretty small role at first. I uh, oversaw uh, public relations in a couple of offices then I ended up overseeing public relations um, in all of our US offices. Um, And now I've recently changed roles and um, I'm in a global role, not doing public relations on our practice work, but focusing on our culture and citizenship and talking a lot about our core values. Um, And I know we'll probably get into it later about making a career shift, um, but I really feel like that was a big change. And a lot of the things that Led me to make that change had to do with advice I received and, you know, just reflecting on what really made me happy professionally and finding ways to do more of that um, and less of the things that I might have been good at, um, but that didn't give me the same kind of satisfaction. Um, and so, you know, my big takeaway from a Minute Mentoring was really kind of figuring out how do you be the the good professional you want to be? And how do you also do it in the way that um, gives you the most personal and professional satisfaction? Um, Because the reality is lots of us can be good at lots of different things. um, And it's hard not to get stuck into a box of saying, because I'm good at this one thing, that's what I'm going to do in my job forever.
0: I want to come back to that uh, transition. That you had within your company, because I think there's a lot of questions for some people as they reevaluate post-pandemic what they think they want to do. Uh, but but before we get to that, I wanted to ask you if over the years when we've done minute mentoring, is there if there is advice that has stuck with you that you heard from one of the mentors or the mentees uh, that has stuck with you and that you find yourself either revisiting or reminding yourself or passing on to your men- mentees? Uh, Dee, let's go with you again.
1: There's so much advice, really, that we've learned over the years. So, you know, I'll I'll give you three here, but ask me tomorrow and they could change. Um, The first one is do the work. And I remember this was early on. Um, It may have even been from our very first minute mentoring. And someone said, you have to do the work. And she meant it in two ways. And it's always a good Um, it's always a tip that I use when someone says, how do I get a raise? How do I ask for a raise? Do the work. And that means two things. One, you actually have to do the work that you've been hired to do, do it, you know, in an excellent way, you know, serve your clients or, or work with your team to do the work. But it also means that you can't just go in and ask for a raise and say, because I worked really hard. You have to do the work. What does the market say that your that your work is worth? What are you comparing yourself to? And then you have to do this market analysis. But you also have to take the work that you do and put those two things together and advocate for yourself. So do the work is something really for me that comes up quite frequently because that's a question that I'm asked all the time. How do I ask for a raise? Um, Another one that I think of a lot, uh, and this is a Dana Perino special, is um, it's not always about you. You know, a lot of us internalize somebody being dismissive, someone snapping at you, someone saying something or not giving you a full answer. And you internalize that and you wake up in the middle of the night and you turn that conversation over and over and over again in your head. And Dana, you one time gave the advice, you know, it's not always about you. And it's so true. People have bad days. People have a lot of things on their mind. Maybe they're dealing with ailing parents. Maybe they have children who are sick. Maybe they don't feel well themselves. Maybe somebody just snapped at them. But it's not always about you. And I even tell myself that Mm -hmm. all the time. So that's a great piece of advice. My third one is um, trust your instincts. And this really goes back to trusting my creativity. And it's something that people have said um, over the years is you probably have a good gut. Trust your instinct. Maybe don't launch fully on it yet. Test the waters a little bit, but trust your instinct. I downplayed that a lot over the years because I was trying to do what everybody else was doing, sort of following the norm the way other people did. But I really um, started to trust my instincts when I was representing young women who had escaped from a terrorist organization and we were trying to get them safely and legally to the United States. And I had to get creative and trust my instincts because we had to find a very um, rarely used part of the law in order to get those young women to the United States and out of harm's way. And that was a success. And those women are still here today and they're all in college and doing very well. Wow. Um, that's great. Congratulations yeah, on that. Yeah.
2: So those are my three. Jamie? Yeah. I, well, so I'm going to give one. I'm going to give two, actually. Um, First was work the night shift. And um, this was a point that came from um, a, a Fox News producer, actually. Yeah, Lauren Peterson,
1: mm-hmm.
2: And she talked about how when she first started her career, um, she had the opportunity to go work on a, a very popular show and, you know, would have been very high profile, but she would not have had a very senior role. And instead, she took um, a position on a show that, was important, but didn't have the same level of viewership. And it really gave her a chance to be in charge. It gave her a chance to make mistakes when there were fewer people watching. It really gave her a chance to cut her teeth in ways that she might not have Um, if she had taken the other role. Yeah, and in fact, if I
0: just jump in, one of the things she said is, don't be afraid of working the tough hours or the weird hours. Um, And I hear this a lot. Like people, Let's say that they want to work in television, but they only want to work nine to five Monday through Friday. Like, well, that's not how television works. So you might want to choose a different profession. Um, And now that I work an early morning shift, we get here and there's no one here. It's just me and Caroline are on our floor for uh, about an hour. And it's fun. We can say whatever, you like we can be as loud as we want or not and have fun. So that was one of the things that Lauren Pedersen said. She's now, um, it'd be interesting to ask her the question of when she first gave that advice at a Minute Mentoring event here in New York to where she is now. She's one of the most senior executives here at Fox News.
2: Yeah. Well, it was great advice. So I uh, encourage a lot of people to follow it. And it goes to the other point, which Dee said um, about, you know, trusting your instincts Um, and just, you know, the related point that I've heard um, and I don't remember which minute mentoring it was but about really operating from a point of confidence and not a point of fear. Um, it, it's very easy to not do something because you're fearful of what the outcome might be. And sometimes that, that's a decision itself. Um, but sometimes the better decision is to be confident and to move forward and recognize that you might make mistakes, but you'll live. Uh, you'll You'll survive it and you'll be a stronger professional for it.
0: We'll be right back with more of this interview after this. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. I think about the advice over the years a lot. One of the things I loved is that we've taken the show on the road a little bit. Um, I remember in Houston, we did an event um, through Bracewell and Mrs. Barbara Bush came and kicked off the event and you remember one of the things she said is that she had talked to George, that'd be George W. Bush, that morning about working with me and she'd talked to me about working with George and she said that what she concluded is that loyalty goes both ways. Yes. And that was a really important thing for me to hear. Even though I think I lived that and I knew that, I don't think I'd ever passed that along as advice. So I've done that over the years. The other thing I loved in a more recent Minute Mentoring was hearing from a woman who was very senior in the Obama administration in the vice president's office at the time, working for Joe Biden. And she had an opportunity that came to her out of the blue to go work at the State Department in something she was not familiar with and out of her comfort zone. And she thought, well, why would I ever leave the White House? I love working for Joe Biden. And her, she sought out one of her lifelong mentors, who asked her if she felt like she was drowning every day when she went to work. And she said, absolutely not. And the woman said, well, then you have to leave. And that it's okay, not only okay, it is good and important to feel like that waterline is just below your chin. Boy, do I give that advice to a lot of people now, because there is a desire to find work-life balance, which will be something we end this podcast on because that's the main question that everybody is always trying to figure out. And she said that when she had made the move and she felt that professional growth, as you were describing, Dee, that that was more fulfilling. And it's almost like if you take on a new challenge and you realize that you can do it, then your capacity to do even more and have more meaningful experiences at work continues to grow. And then the other one that I always maintain is important and I think it's wonderful for me to watch um, this actually happen with Jamie is that choosing to be loved is not a career-limiting decision. And Dee and I were both married when we started Minute Mentoring um, and now Jamie has this uh, longtime partner in Steve and it really has, I think, um, enhanced... Her life and your and your work too, Jamie. Though I might give you a chance to talk a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, just don't let him know too much. You know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's see if he listens to the podcast. Um, no, I think that's true, and um, that's that's another piece of advice that um, has long stuck with me. And really, you know, I think for a lot of people, it's it's hard to balance life and work. And um, I think all of us are women who are ambitious and career driven. And we know a lot of people who are ambitious and career driven. And that doesn't need to preclude you from um, finding somebody who's great to be around and enhances your life in many ways outside of work.
0: Has anything in the mentoring world, any advice that you've given or your opinion about any advice changed over the years as you've uh, you know, been elevated to new positions? I'll, Jamie, start with you on that one.
2: I think that the advice that I've received has sort of come together in a way that I've picked and chosen pieces that have become kind of a personal motto for me. And I've really learned that it's important to understand who you want to be as a professional. I'm not talking about the job title you have or the money you make or the company you work for, but What are the kinds of things that that make you happy? What are the kinds of things that give you professional satisfaction? And then to seek out the opportunities um, that fulfill those needs. And that's not the result of a single piece of advice or a single mentor. That's the result of advice from many mentors, formal and informal, women and men. Um, and And sort of putting it together and trying to figure out how does all the advice work for you Um, and, and how do you apply that to your life in ways that will make you, um, sort of the best you can be professionally and also the best you can be personally. I think that's really the trick. There's not, you know, we want finding a mentor or finding a sponsor to be a single answer. And it's, it's really not, it's, it's really continuing to take it all in, continuing to grow, continuing to learn Mm -hmm. and think about how it works for you. I
0: got to say one thing that I've changed my opinion on is, (laughs) I'm just going to be really blunt. If someone comes to me and asks me for advice, I'm happy to sit down and try to help. (laughs) But if that person doesn't follow through or is like, I don't know, blah, blah, like kind of like not into it, I don't have time for you. I got to (laughs) move on. And I think that maybe that's just a part of a way of like me maintaining some work-life balance. But I don't have time to hold somebody's hand through everything. I wrote in my book, if you are an educated American woman, then all you have to decide is how hard do you want to work and what do you want to do? Because opportunities right now are just out there. Now, the other thing I've always said is you have to be willing to move. Don't be afraid to move. And sometimes you have to move or leave the company that you're with so that you can come back at a higher level. Like, like a lot of people that work in Manhattan, to say as someone's assistant, they're like, oh, I really want my boss's job one day. I'm like, well, the boss didn't stay for 12 years in that position, in your position, and then all of a sudden has made the boss. That's It's just not how it works. So I've really been encouraging people to get out there, see other things and have those experiences so that you have more geographical diversity and an ability to actually have conversations with people because you've traveled or at least lived in other places or maybe a different time zone. Um, Dee, let me ask you the same question. Has anything changed in your opinion or do you look at anything differently all these years later?
1: Dana, I like what you're saying. If someone comes to me because they have questions, I'm, my door is always open. But I need you to know what you need to know, right? Or at least know to ask a question about what you want to know. So I always say happy to you know, have coffee come with five questions, send me the things that you want to talk about in advance. I will, it'll, this will be a much more fruitful discussion. If I have a sense of what your question is, and that seems to work better. And then I think the follow-up is better. I think it's a, it's a, it's a uh, more successful relationship for the mentee as well, because they're getting my actual thoughts, not just my op of the You know, off the top of my head, ideas of what they should do with their life. And I've known them for 10 minutes. So I think that's one way that I try to um, make mentoring more effective. And then the other way that I do it is I say, here are the things that you could do to follow up with me. If you're applying for jobs, tell me where you've applied. If I know someone there, I'm happy to, you know, make outreach or if you're thinking of schools and you want my opinions on the schools, just email them to me. So it doesn't have to be a we meet every week on Friday at four kind of relationship. It's a more I'm here when you need, but you need to tell me what you need so I can help you.
2: hmm. Mm-hmm. It really advice is true. for mentors.
0: <laughs> no, honestly, I do think that mentors need advice too, because sometimes, like some of these companies are are doing things like a mentor match thing, right? So that's yeah. great. I think it's a really great thing. But I'll give you one example. Then this happened actually happened here, and it just wasn't that successful for this particular pairing. It was somebody that wanted to be in production on television who was matched with somebody in accounting. Now they might have great things to share with each other. But it's not exactly the career path. Like it's there's just a too I think wide a gulf between those two um, professions or or those that area of the workplace. However, that said, I do think it's really important to get to know the other parts of your company. Um, For for example, you know I I know I don't know all the people that are in the control room who make our show happen every day, but I know that without them, our show would be we, we wouldn't make it on air. And so I've tried to make a concerted effort to get to know them, get their get their names, to be able to put a name with a face in the hallway to say hello and thank you. But I before that, I really think I really focused on that in the pandemic because it was so isolating. We were at home by ourselves. I'm like, wait, there's all these people working and I don't even I don't even think we've actually shaken hands.
2: You know, this also goes back to the point D made about doing the work, too, is it is so important for a professional in any role to understand the business. How does not not what is their role? The person who wants to be a producer um, and or in production and is is talking to someone in accounting might have a really unique opportunity to understand how that aspect of the business is run. And um, I think it's so important because you can get really caught up in this narrow focus of this is what I need to do. But if you don't understand how it connects to the business, how does the business make money? How does how does the business get viewers? How does the, in my business and Dee's business, how, how do we get clients? How do people hire us? If you don't understand those things, you will miss opportunities no matter how good you are at the core aspects of the specific thing you have to do. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, we asked on my social media just for some questions that we could throw out to here. So it's a little bit like, Minute Mentoring. It's just that we're just on a podcast. Um, I really like this one. And Jamie, I, this one I said I wanted you to revisit this issue. Um, let me see how you land on this one. Here's the question. How do you work through a mid-career crisis where you feel like you want to do something completely different than your current job career industry, but you are scared to leave it because you're very good at your current job and you are comfortable with the living you are making?
2: It's a great question. Um I think the first thing is to really understand what satisfies you and what about it in in your particular role or in your particular business isn't working for you, but also what about it is working for you? What are those characteristics? I said this before, not the job title, not the salary, not the company, but the tactical things that you like doing on a day-to-day basis, the strategic things you like to do on a day-to-day basis. And then apply a lot of research, really understand what having a role means, how it functions in a particular organization. And that means talking to a lot of people in the ways that Dee talked about with specific questions, in the ways that you talked about, Dana, having you know real specific ideas of what you wanna learn and understand from the people you're talking to. Um, and so then when you set out, you, you wanna try and find ways, sometimes incrementally, more and more to do those things. In my case, um, I stayed with the same company, but I actually went to my boss and proposed a new role that didn't exist. Um, And I did that by understanding, um, A, what what I was interested in, and B, where some of these really important but unmet uh, needs were, um, only in that they didn't have somebody formally really looking out for them. They had lots of people who contributed, um, but I thought there was an opportunity to do more. And it took some time. You have to be very patient. It took two years. Pandemic mm. was part of it. But, um, you know, in my case, I, th- I think it's been really interesting and, um, you know, a really satisfying sort of development mm-hmm. in my career. Yeah. So that's what I would say to people. Don't get caught up in I don't like this or I don't like that. Um, Get focused on what really makes you happy and then do the work, do the research and have patience.
0: Yeah. And make the case. Right. You have to you have to make the case. One of the things I find that with here sometimes say a mentee will come to me. And they'll talk about all the things they want to do. And I'll ask if their supervisor knows that or if their manager knows that. I'm like, well, no, because I don't want them to think that I am want to leave. I'm like, <laughs> we can't help you if you don't tell us what you want to do. Like, we want to know. Nobody wants you to be stuck in your job. I shouldn't say stuck. But everybody, I think that managers should be judged on whether they can promote their people. Good and question. if they, if you're not promoting your people, then something's wrong with you. I think that some of the tech companies actually have that model, which is a little bit interesting. Now, some people might say, I'm very happy at this job. I don't want to change. And also, I think that needs to be respected. And employers should be grateful for that. It's not that everybody wants to be climbing the corporate ladder all the time. D, one thing that we learned in the first minute mentoring, first or second, do you remember that lady? She was from the engineering company, and she used um, an off-color phrase, if I may use it, but she suggested for a situation like this, where either you feel like you might be in a compromised situation ethically and you want to get out of it, or maybe there's harassment and the company's not doing anything about it, and that's a big red flag. She said that you need to have, she said at the time, $50,000 of F-off money. Now, Now, that was 10 years ago. I don't know what that number would be today. Maybe it's more, whatever, but... Obviously, that sounds like a big sum of money. It is. But as you continue to grow, if you invest in yourself and you're saving, you can put yourself in a position where either you can protect yourself or you can maybe take a risk like this.
1: I actually don't remember this one, but I I do remember the F off money. I remember that part, (laughs) but I don't remember. I don't remember all of it. Um, I, you know, I, I do think when we're thinking about career changes and taking risks, it always has to be balanced against where are you in life? You know, it is a luxury for a lot of us to think about making a mid-career change or taking a big risk that could result in a job loss. Not everyone, of course, has that opportunity. And so um, while you have to make a lot of decisions to overcome the hurdles and the risks and the scariness of it, you still have the opportunity to give it a shot. And not a lot of people have that opportunity. And I think that's the point that she was getting at is, if you, if you want to have opportunity in life or you, you want to have more pathways in life, then you need to start saving now in order to do those things later. So, you know, and I think if I recall, I'm beginning to remember it now, she was talking about someone wanting to write a book, I think, and you have to be able to sustain yourself while you're doing that. And so I, I think that's what she meant by um, by having a sum of money so you could make that type of career change. And that takes, you know, thoughtfulness about how you spend money now and how you invest it.
0: I remember the story about her. She um, she was one of the only women that worked in engineering and she would worked her way up and they were doing, um, they had a call for consultants and everybody was coming in to do their dog and pony show to pitch them the business. And this one um, company, a PR firm or engineering firm arrived late and they're rushing and they come in and they see her as she was walking out to get a glass of water and the consultant said, hey, could you make some copies of this? And she said, of course, sure. And she went and made the copies and she brought them all back. And then she took her seat where she was going to be pitched the business. I <laughs> love that story. <laughs> love it that so is a much. great
1: story. No, that's a great story. That's Here, good. Here's that's
0: another good. question that came in. Jamie, trust is hard to earn and easy to lose. How does someone earn your trust?
2: Consistency it's really the key somebody who says they're going to do something and does it somebody who um, behaves consistently and performs consistently time and again um, those are the people i think in life in careers wherever it is that you know are better to rely on Uh, one of my colleagues actually also says that um an example he gives is about consistency is he says if, if you are um, always early for meetings, you should always be early for meetings. If you're on time for meetings, you should always be on time for meetings. Consistency makes it easier for each of us to operate and can really build that trust, um, You know, even when it's something less than ideal.
0: Dee, do you wanna take a crack at that one too?
1: I talk about this with my clients all the time. I mean, you both have been in politics <laughs> And so when you're on the Hill, all you have is your credibility, right? That is all that you have. And so when you are asking members of Congress or their um, staff or someone in the executive agencies to, to act on your behalf, to enact a policy, to shape federal regulation and law, all you have is your credibility. So the arguments that you make better be tight. They better be backed up by evidence. You better have a good plan for what the policy should look like. And you should know the implications of that policy on folks other than you or your business or your industry, because those are all questions that are going to be asked. And if you are not credible on any of those topics, you can kiss that relationship goodbye. Mm. That is that is really um, that is your stock and trade on the Hill. And, and you both know that almost better than I do, probably. That's so
0: interesting. Um I was thinking that you also need to learn how to deliver tough or bad news to your manager or your boss or your colleagues in a way that is constructive. Whereas when people see you coming down the hallway, they don't want to run and hide. And I was thinking of an example. I remember one time, um, it was right before the... Well, it was during the 2008 Republican Convention, which was being held in Minnesota, and there was a huge hurricane that was bearing down on Texas. And we made the decision at the White House for President Bush not to go to the convention. And so he gave his speech about the hurricane prep, and then it turned right back to the convention coverage. And I can't remember exactly what happened, but in a private moment, he looked to me and he said, do you think they know they're insulting me? Now, as the president of the United States, I could have said, "Oh no, of course not, sir. Oh, nobody's insulted, absolutely not, sir." But it wasn't true, and it was hard for me to do it. But I cared about him enough to tell him the truth and, and give him my honest opinion. And I said, "Yes, sir. I believe they do." And he nodded, squeezed my shoulder, and said, I'll "See you in the morning." Like, okay. And you know that's hard, and it broke my heart. But it also made sure that he knew that I wasn't going to blow smoke up his rear end. And I think learning how to deliver bad news or tough news is hard, but also it's important that if you have a situation like that that you need to take to your boss, try to have one or two ideas for moving forward. That is a really important thing as well, just to have like something in your pocket. That's why, actually, I called the book, And the Good News Is, because one of the things you should do when you leave is say, And the good news is, I have a plan, or whatever it might be. More to come. Right after this, we don't have too much time left. I'm going to ask you a couple more things and we'll do this as maybe lightning rounds. Um, how do you reach out to a mentor without feeling like you are pestering them or becoming an added burden? D know what
1: you want to
0: ask and what you would like
1: to get out of the relationship that will make it far easier for a mentor
0: to accept your overture. Okay, Jamie. Sam. Oh, I know love, what you are talk right about now. a lightning round same <laughs> you know what I you know what I tell people like, like if they I think we sort of touched on this like don't come in and say what do you think I should do right <laughs> you oh. have to be a little bit more specific and the other thing is like I get a lot of people saying that oh could you talk to my granddaughter she is a sophomore in college I'm like well could, could she read my book first during Christmas vacation or summer vacation and then I can talk to her? Because if I sit down with you and I've got 20 minutes and you say, how did you become the White House press secretary? I'm going to scream. <laughs> so you have to be mindful of their time. So something specific. I always like this idea, which is to say, could I walk with you from your office to the meeting? And then you better have your question ready. And they can answer it quickly and then you move on and leave them alone. The walk and talk is such a good way to get a lot done very quickly.
2: Um, I'm going to add a point, okay? Um, which is propose a schedule. Don't leave it to the person you want to meet with to go back and forth and try and figure out the schedules. Offer a couple of dates and times that you're available and just get it scheduled and don't create an endless Oh my gosh. Do you
0: know how many people ask for time with me at like between five and six PM? Mm-hmm. Like, guys, obviously I do the five from five to six PM for eleven years. That's what we've been on air for eleven years. I can't do it from five to six. <laughs> I keep sounding like that getting irritated. That's how not to irritate a mentor. How about three thirty? That actually sounds a lot better to me. Um
1: does well, it still more. Okay. Sorry, I just one more know more about me than what you've read on my website.
0: Love it. Love it. That
1: would be, that would be, that goes into the time slot
0: too. Or to be able to say, wow, I'm so impressed with what you did with the women, getting them to into the yeah. America. And that, was, and that was incredible. That must've been so fulfilling. Yes, I totally agree with that. Does it still matter what you wear to work or wear on a Zoom, Jamie? Yes.
2: <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think, you know, no, no matter what, Um, you're being asked to be a professional and um, depending on your job, um, what professional looks like may vary. um, But I do still think it looks, it's important to look like you showed up, you showed up to be there and to do whatever serious task there is at hand. Okay. Dee?
1: If you want to be taken seriously, dress like you want to be taken seriously. And it's just important. I think it's an unfair it's a disproportionate burden on women in our society that that helps us to be taken seriously, but it exists. And so to, to be taken seriously, dress seriously.
0: I learned something from Martha McCallum. She said that during the pandemic, when she would go to do her show from home um, that she always put on her heels. I mean, you were <laughs> never going to see them. She said, but it just made me feel like I was in my complete outfit. <laughs> and you know what? She's right. I, cause I would do my, the show from home in my flats and I'm like no. If you put on heels, you're like whoa. For something that's just like makes me feel like I'm ready to go. All right, the last question, the toughest question is, what is or is there a perfect work-life balance? D. I'll start with you.
1: I think the answer is yes for you. There is not a one-size-fits-all work-life balance, and you have to. It takes planning it takes intention, and it takes prioritization. There are 24 hours in a day, some of those should be dedicated to sleep, the rest of them are yours. And so you prioritize what it is that you want to do to get the most out of your life. So there is work life balance. It's just incumbent upon you to structure it.
0: Yeah, it's funny, but right before my book came out, my schedule completely changed. And All of a sudden, I was working in the mornings and in the afternoons. I was like, well, how am I going to do that? But over the year, I figured out that if I can get some time off between shows to either have lunch with a friend, get some errands done, most important for me, exercise in some way, even if it's just a stretch, whatever it might be, then... I can make it happen, but I've realized that nobody is going to do that for me. Believe me, people here, they will fill my day with all sorts of stuff that they need me to do. So it's incumbent upon me. It's my responsibility to take charge of my work-life balance. And, learning to say no, it's still very difficult. In fact, my co-anchor, Bill Hemmer, just this morning, he yeah. had something that someone was asking him to do. It's in the future. It's on a weekend and he doesn't want to commit to it, but he also doesn't want to say no. And I was like, wow, like it never ends. Learning to say no is a very difficult thing, but once you can figure it out, it really helps. But I would say that the most important thing to think about in work-life balance from my perspective is that you're in charge. Yeah. So you yeah. have to figure it out.
2: Yes, Jamie. Well, you, Something that came out of one of our um, Minute Mentorings, and I think as soon as I say this, you'll you'll know who it came from, you'll remember. Um, the the person talked about work-life balance over a longer time frame than oh, necessarily yeah. a That was uh, a
0: Megan week. O'Sullivan, who worked in the Bush White House, and she said that exact thing. It's not over the course of your day, it's over the course of your career. And that makes a big difference, right? Because she said when she worked at the National Security Council, she didn't. She missed everyone's birthdays. She couldn't participate in friends' life. But that was for, she. She knew there was a limited time that she would be able to work on the National Security Council. And now she's a, a professor, and she writes amazing books on energy policy. And she has uh, two young children, and they live up in Boston. And she's very happy. Very happy indeed. You know,
1: Dana, your point about saying no, we also had a mentor in one of our last live events before the pandemic who said that she had learned to say no and not apologize. Oh, yeah. He, you remember
0: that? Yeah, and that um, it's so hard not to say, I'm sorry, but I can't. I'm sorry. But yeah. I've gotten very good at it. And that's good because, because when you apologize, this, her point was
1: when you apologize, now you're carrying around that guilt, so you just have to learn to say no. Oh, like no, in my book you, where I said no. that
0: um, I can't stand it when someone says, hi, can you come give a free speech like, at f- between five and 6 p.m.? And I say, I can't. And they'll write back, okay, no worries. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, I'm not worried. <laughs> 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 Why are you trying to think that I should feel guilty about saying no to the event that you asked me to do while I have a show?
2: I don't it's know. It's fair. Saying no advice is going to be really important coming out of the pandemic because so many people are going to be Um, Coming back to work, getting back out, being really excited to be there. And I think uh, I'm a natural introvert. So I know already some of that's going to be overwhelming. And I think it's going to be important to sometimes say no and recognize you need some of the space that maybe the pandemic provided. Um, even yeah. as other it's people true. are so excited to see each other. It's true.
0: Yeah. Like and, and sometimes even like on the weekends, um you all get a note on a Thursday night, Hi, we'd love to see you on Saturday. I'm like, I can't even think about Saturday, I wanna cry. But like, if you <laughs> Oh, also here's the other thing. You gotta think about the timing of when you make requests. So I've had people lately on Fridays ask me if I can do something the next week. And by Friday I've worked I've been up at four thirty AM Monday through Friday. I've worked two shows on opposite ends of the day. so I always tell Caroline, you can tell them that if they are asking me this question today, Friday at 1 p.m., the answer is immediately no. Immediately no. But if you wait and ask me at 2 p.m. on Monday, it might be yes. So you got to think about the timing of when you're asking things. Um, ladies, thank you. And we didn't really talk about technology and Oh, all that things. But I have a podcast coming up where I'm going to talk about how you can help manage uh, your online world and how to be on social media or not and what that means for your career and your uh, personal life as well. There's so much we could talk about. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart uh, for helping me start Minute Mentoring, for helping me come up with the name, for keeping it going all these years, but also the incredibly deep friendships that we share. And I just love you both. one of the most interesting parts of that podcast was looking back as to where our careers were in 2010 when we started Minute Mentoring and where they are today, which proves that there's always a way to keep growing and succeeding. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay.